Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome again to South Africa on 99.94. I'm Neil Manthorpe. My co-host is Lungani Zama. South Africa on 99.94 is uh, hopefully by now your regular home for South African cricket content, both on and off the field. Unfortunately, being South Africa, it's more off the field, but uh, there is a test series about to start in Australia. So hopefully we'll be talking about uh, the actual game of uh, bat and ball rather than uh, all of the off-field stuff. Um yeah, so do please rate, review and subscribe. It uh, it does help. And uh, as always, I remind you at the beginning of each show, do check out the Mitch Johnson show over on uh, Australia on 99.94. Um, so we're going to start off um, with this episode, Zams, with a question from one of our um, viewers. Uh, his name is Klaus, and he says, Dear both... Why are there so few former South African international players who remain involved in the game? There have been a few over the years. Gary Kirsten was national coach, but he only saw out two years of his four-year contract. Alan Donald was involved, uh, but there have been very few others. And if I'm correct, only one former international is involved in domestic coaching at the moment. And I presume he means there Robin Peterson, who is uh, coach of... um, what are they called now? Eastern Province or the Warriors. <laughs> the, the Port Elizabeth team. Sorry, I'm not being facetious. The Warriors. Um, so that's a very good question. Um, uh, oh, he says, P.S., is it only the money or is there more to it? So what have you got to say to Klaus? Cheapest Klaus. Um, <laughs> good question. Um, I think Mfuneko Ngam is still involved at some level, but he's not headline coaching. Um no, no, it's not just the money. Um, I think because there's no sort of legacy of looking after players and 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 finishing off careers properly, it's very abrupt. A lot of, and it's not even a, a color thing. A, a lot of players' careers are end abruptly, and there's very little ceremony. I mean, I think only the other day it was Abi de Villiers and Dale Stein saluted eventually. Um, you know, the, the the ending is 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 often awkward. It's like, you know, you have this wonderful love affair and you play for your country and you think at the end you're going to, not that you're going to get a golden handshake, but there will be something that sort of keeps you there. I mean, and it just ends. And as quickly as it's ended as a player, there's sort of no plans to find a way to keep you involved, especially, especially if, you have a particular skill set that we, we're short of. Um, you think of the many wonderful batsmen that South African cricket has had over the years. Um, surely there, there should be a, a way of, even if they're short-term clinics, of just you know getting the next level of batsmen up to speed and playing proper first-class cricket and have intense clinics. And these things just don't happen. Uh, we spend... 
South African cricket spends a lot of money on window dressing as opposed to really enhancing people's skill sets and, 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 and giving them constructive. You know, you, you've heard of business people going and spending 100000 on a week-long course, but they come out of that with a mini MBA and they can apply those things and, and to their businesses and you can see changes. You know, you should with the number of wonderful cricketers that are internationally respected. There should be clinics to go and on a batting masterclass with Cullis and 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 and, and AB and a bowling. You know, I'll tell you a funny one, quick one. Richard Stell, who played for South Africa way back when, he he now works for Supersport Schools, not coaching or anything. It's more on the admin side, but. In his free time, if you ask, he still passes on his expertise to those kids that often have parents that he knows who show promise. And I know this because he said about my son, if he comes up to Joburg, he he can take him for a couple of days at Nets and show him power hitting or, 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 you know, hitting through the line. That's a former South African player from 30 years ago almost. The expertise doesn't leave you. But if... If the game disregards you as soon as you, you're done playing, you, you know, a lot of these guys are not going to wait around cap in hand. You kind of have to figure out the next career. And I think a lot of them actually are in school systems and private school coaching, um, which has a lot less admin, a lot less questions, a lot less politics. You can actually just transfer your love of the game and your skill set to the next generation without complications. Makai Antini was one that felt particularly rejected, um, you know, used and um, and disposed of after taking 390 test wickets for his country. But he wasn't the only one. Um, and again, I also want to make the point this is not a uniquely South African thing. I think we are worse at uh, revering our, our superstars and, and being grateful for, for a life of of entertainment that they've provided for us. I think I think we're we're worse at doing that than many other countries, but it's certainly not a uniquely South African thing. Um but it is interesting as well that uh Lance Klusner, uh Makaya, by the way, was given his first coaching gig by Zimbabwe. They appointed him as uh, as their bowling coach. But the SA20, our first mention in the last couple of episodes of the SA20, things have gone fairly quiet for the last week. Um, now they've employed Lance Klusner is one one of the coaches. Uh, JP Dumini is at the Palm Royals. Um, Eric Simons, Gary Kirsten, see also one of the SA Twenty coaches. He is, isn't he? Yeah. So um, again, I think it's a bit of an indictment, isn't it? On I don't know the provincial the franchise as it was provincial system and and maybe create South Africa that you know the SA Twenty is independent. Um, and they certainly showed their independence when it came to the player auction, but also it would seem with the appointment of coaches because, you know, they're only interested in the experience, the expertise, and to a lesser degree, the name, I suppose. You know, they, they want a name coach as well, but they've made independent uh, selections. Who, who are the other two SA20 coaches? Stephen um, Fleming. Robbie Peterson. Stephen Fleming, yeah. no, not Robbie Peterson, um, Boucher. Uh, Mark yeah. Boucher, of course. Yeah, look, it, like I said, it's not it's not for lack of quality. Um, it's not as if there's no options. 
there there are a lot of, of of great cricket brands across South Africa who, you know, have are willing to share this knowledge. Like you said, Macarantini, the first thing they should have done is is given him not an office job, not an ambassador job, not a marketing job. Roll up your sleeves and copy and paste everything that you learned and pass it on to the 16-year-olds that are coming through from the Eastern Cape. That's your mandate. Give us give us 10 Montinis to spread around the country. But it never happened. And 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 I'm sure that was part of the frustration because it's not as if he he wanted to coach South Africa, but he wants to pass on everything that he's learned so that the mistakes and the hardships that he had to go through don't, don't happen again, but you also don't lose talent. And, you know, South Africa is such a diverse country. Who who better for a kid out of Eastern Cape to learn from than the literal spearhead of 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 black cricket in that part at that time? Of course, you're going to listen to Makaya, whether you're a batter or a bowler. He's done it. He's gone and played over 100 tests, taken 390 wickets. He's he's been there. You know, like of course you should. But the fact that he never was, it's just it's just a lack of of thought and 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 and, and sort of really understanding the lay of the land and saying the one thing that you need more than a coaching certificate sometimes is somebody who understands the terrain and will find a way to get the best out of people because he's just literally walked all those steps himself. Um, so there's been a lot of people who've been wasted because you don't need to hire all of them for 10-year contracts, but you allow something. I mean, give them a retainer that, that says every six months we're going to have you for two weeks, take leave from whatever job you're doing, and for two weeks... Claude Anderson is going to take every spinner on a camp or, you know, whoever. They're, they're there. And you can refresh it so it's not the same voice again and again. But they're there and they want to give to South African cricket. But so many of them just don't have the means. Just don't have the means. There are some players, some geniuses mostly, who were very instinctive. Um, and there were others who were very methodical but both of those camps, the geniuses and the methodicals, are not necessarily very good at transferring that knowledge. I'm thinking specifically of Makaya and Tini. A lot of you said cu- copy and paste or cut and paste your what you learnt in your in your brilliant successful career and transfer it to the new generation. He's not necessarily very good at doing that. And neither was Jacques Callas. He was a methodical, as you know. Um, and it, and it was really interesting. I mean, now people who've worked with Jacques Callis say that he's he's very, very good. But for a long time, he, he wasn't. He wasn't able to transfer his knowledge. Um, he, was, he wasn't bad. Um, it had to be sucked out of him. You know, he wasn't bad at being asked questions. But very often in the early days, if he was asked a question, he would have to think about it. It was like, Jacques, what was going through your head when the ball wasn't coming on and you were trying to hit a cover drive three extra, you, you, whatever it was, technical question, something more difficult than that, maybe a mental aspect. Um, and there'd be a long period of silence while he thought about it. Now, he obviously did the same thing and he was extremely successful. But, um, you know, he 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 wasn't very good at, uh, at transferring that knowledge. I remember a story, you mentioned Richard Snell. Um, the first South African tour I ever went on was the tour to Sri Lanka. No, second tour, the tour to Sri Lanka. And Mike Proctor was coached, a man who you know extremely well because you've uh, ghosted his autobiography. Um, I don't know whether he, he would recall this, but you mentioned Richard Snell. So he was on that tour and he was in the nets and he was regarded as a bowling all-rounder, wasn't he? And it was the first time he'd ever been on a, on a slow surface in the nets in his life. And he was batting away... <laughs> And really struggling, and the ball just wasn't coming onto the bat, like it was at the Wanderers, you know. And um, 
uh, they kept stopping, you know, the bowling with old balls on a tired surface. You can imagine how, how unfamiliar that would have been to him. And he, he, and he said, coach, I keep hitting my covered drives in the air. I can't keep the ball on the ground. I just keep hitting everything in the air. And he was looking for some help. And Procky said, well, just time it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there is a role for the ambassador, isn't there? And there is a role for a coach by example rather than by prescription. Um, and and, and that, that's, I think, where South Africa has fallen down. You can't expect everyone to be a good technical coach. But we haven't somehow been able to use our our best players as role model coaches. Yeah. Look, the the grafters, the the Robin Petersons, the the Gary Kirstens, um, people who had to really work and figure out their game become the better coaches because they've got to learn and understand what they need to do in order to, you know, become something. Sure. And that that that's often those character traits are easier to transfer to the next because you just show people like this is the way this is how you approach it hard work hard work hard work at 10,000 balls I watched I watched a, a a World Cup game with AB um we did a watch along thing and the number of little nuggets of not just technical but feel of the game as a captain where South Africa were, it was South Africa against India and obviously the, the pace attack did really well up front and he said what Timber needs to do now is, and a lot of what the stuff that he was saying, Timber was doing. What he needs to do now is now bring on Anna, keep Lungi on for one more, keep the, the spinners back as long as possible. Because when you bring the spinners on, they're going to take them on because India plays spin well, but under pressure. Bowl the hard lengths, make sure they keep bowling the hard lengths. Virat Kohli top edge is six, and he said, don't change the length. Make sure that you keep on the hard length because it's it's uncomfortable. And they did it. But if if you are an under nineteen captain or even an under-19 fast bowler, and you sitting in the same room and you having that simulation where you're just listening to the approach of one of South Africa's greats, how they would do it in the moment, live and play, you learn so much more. You might not be able to walk into a room with no TV and everything and there's 20 pairs of eyes looking at him going, tell us how you approach captaincy. That's daunting. We've seen some of the, Jacques Callis himself included, some of the best players can't really do a press conference and be articulate because it feels you're under pressure. But walk walk nine holes with Jacques Callis on a golf course and ask him how he hits his seven iron around a tree and gets it to backspin. He'll tell you in very simple terms. I choke down on the club and I aim a bit further right and I turn my hands over as if... I, and you go, oh. And then you do it and you go, oh. So it's not... All of it has to be this inner classroom. And that's probably where the turnoff is because you sit in an interview and you ask the guy, tell us how you would run a coaching session. I, I don't know. Tell me how you played a cover drive over extra cover for six at the Wacker to chase 400. Oh, well, I realized that the pitch was coming onto the bat better, better and better. And they kept the, you know, the field up and I knew it was the moment. And, and, and that's how we did it. And we transferred the pressure. And by the way, you know, they are very good in situation explainers when you've got to do all the hard yards and assemble the lesson and be a teacher, <laughs> you lose it. They're instinctive. They're instinctive players. Of course, they're going to be instinctive coaches and you don't have to have everyone be a head coach. You can just be situational and actually apply the skills as you would approach it. And you honestly have 10 eager minds around you and they just listen. I would have done this. I mean, he, he did a brilliant one of the difference between Kohli and I think Kale Rahul playing the same back of a length ball 
and Raul is going hands only and nicked off and got caught to slip. And Kohli would wait a bit longer, go right across and play it under his arm or under his eye, and it would just deflect it just past the, st- the slip to third man for one. Same ball, same pace, same intensity, but just a small technical application. And you think, geez, if, if a kid who's really scared about going to Australia and facing 150 clicks an hour could sit and just listen to how you play really, really, really fast bowling, what little things you can do, brilliant. Now, you've just sent off half a team that's never, ever played in Australia in those conditions, and they're going to come up against pace bowlers aiming at their heads and come back and they scarred. And you go, well, if you'd spent two days with AB maybe in Nets, maybe there might have been a difference because they kind of went there and did it. Why wouldn't you? You've got all this intel. Why don't you use it? But practically. Okay, we'll have more on the same subject in just a moment. Hi, I'm Nikesh Raghani, commentator and host of the India on 99.94 podcast. Several times each week, my co-host Sara Waris and I will be bringing you the very best in Indian cricket chat. Whether we're discussing the legend of Julan Goswami, KL Rahul's strike rate, the men's T20 death bowling woes, or the latest controversy involving the BCCI, we've got you covered. You can listen and subscribe via your usual podcast provider. Just search for India on 99.94. You can watch us via YouTube and you can download the 99.94 app. If you love Indian cricket, then join our conversation. Okay. So um, on the subject of, of coaches, you've just made a very, very strong case for um, a career in coaching for A.B. de Villiers. Maybe perhaps more on an on a individual basis, on a sort of in a consultancy role, on a one-on-one type role, rather than as a, as a, you know, a head coach of a team or a franchise or a province. Uh, but, but how would you, I mean, and he's doing it as well. I mean, he's doing it at Tux, isn't he, at the University of Pretoria. I mean, he's, he, he is involved and he, he, it's not like he's saying, well, uh, I, I, can, I can help you, but you'll have to pay. I mean, he's, <laughs> hopefully he's not interested in the cash that he might get from coaching. Um, but, but he, I mean, he, he's doing it on his own terms and he's giving back to the University of Pretoria and, and Afis, I think he's his old school. Um, he's helping out. I think, you know, if anybody, I get the impression, if anybody rucked up on his front door with a kit bag under an arm and said, could you give me half an hour? He would. Um, but, but how how would you mainstream that knowledge and that ability and into, well, a higher level, I suppose, if not the national team itself, and maybe the, the level just below that? Yeah. I mean, if in, in short, sharp bursts, it, it's possible. You know, the, the, we've, we've had academy teams. We, we, we have junior representative teams we've got A-sides who often don't play that much I mean when lost to the A-team play but if you now go into a camp and it's really strictly you know 10 days of camp but two days are going to be on this and two days are going to be on that and two days are going to be that and there's different experts who are going to come through and just spend two days with you just working on real specifics that's how you do it you, you don't make it a, a burden and say oh, we're now going to require you to sign a contract and you're going to have to do 20 days in the office, whatever. Just, we we just, Investec used to do it brilliantly. I don't know if they still do. Investec Rugby Academy, where players from around the country can pay a certain fee and for about two weeks, I think, they've got the greatest rugby minds, not just from South Africa, but from around the world, coming to South Africa and they're all camping somewhere. And 
your kicking coach is Carlos Spencer. Your tackling coach is Ian McIntosh. You're, you, you've just got this absolute wealth of knowledge there, but you've got workshops that deal specifically with each area. And the guys are there, but it doesn't feel like work. They're just passing on. They're just passing on. That's how you should do it. Maybe it does need a corporate who's going to do a momentum masterclass or whatever, and for two weeks the best young players in the country can go. Or you do it at Cubs Week and they're there, and every night there's a different theme. It's taking batting and this and that. But you, you've, got to, you've got to streamline it and, and, and make, it, make it available because the, the one thing is the guys are keen to help. They just don't know how. Uh, and any other, anybody else who you think um, could be a, a coaching nugget of gold, uh, a genius just waiting to be tapped? Anybody that you you think uh, has been tossed aside? Jacques Callis. I mean, you know, uh, he had a brief consultancy period with the national team, with the Pro Tiers, and a lot of people said how much they enjoyed it. Keegan Peterson being one of them, um, said that he learnt an enormous amount in that short space of time. Um, Callis, of course, had a reasonably long run as uh, Calcutta Knight Riders um, head coach. But again, you know, he, he lives down the road from me and he's playing a lot of golf at the moment. Not much else. That's why he's not even a scratch handicap. He's a plus two handicap now because his time is it's on a golf course. But if, you know, you just need to look at that number one test team in the world from around 2008 to 2012. Every single one of those people in their position have something to give back to the game. You go to Hashim Amla, you go to Graham Smith, you, you go to Neil McKenzie, you go, you know, Dale Stain on the art of fast bowling. And, and, and how to, to manage your workload so that your last spell of the day is your fastest spell and not your slowest. And you can, you know, hone in on reverse swing and really destroy a team in the last session. Those are nuggets. Then they're there. But you've got, you've got to make them attractive. It mustn't seem like a burden. And, and it probably rather not do it through CSA because it becomes too wieldy and too complicated. Just get a corporate who just says, Dale, we need two days from you. And in those two days, we're going to need a session at the end of day one and another fun session where you're in the nets and you're just showing people. And that's all. And that's all. It, Shane Warne used to do it at a lunch break and have a, a masterclass where he straps up whoever to go back in the nets and he just shows you six different balls. It, it's there. The knowledge is there. It never leaves you. You might not bowl as fast, but you know how to hold the ball. You know what to do. You, the instinct and things like that are what you pass on. And why, why, why wouldn't you? It just baffles me why you wouldn't tap in thousands and thousands of runs, hundreds and hundreds of test wickets there available, and you just don't utilize it because I don't, e- I don't even know why they don't. Okay, time for another short break. When you come back, uh, we'll finish off this episode talking about sandpaper. I'm Daniel Norcross. And I'm Rory Dollard. And between us, we are England Cricket on 99.94. We'll be every week looking at the ups, the downs, the runners, the riders, the news and the views on all things English cricket. And believe you me, there are plenty of ups and downs. Join us, England Cricket, on 99.94. Right, just a couple of minutes left um, on this episode, Sams. And um, it has been fascinating. And we'll talk about this from a South African point of view. We won't uh, cast any personal judgments. Well, we might. Um, but from a South African point of view, it has been fascinating um, following the, uh, the the David Warner scenario situation over the last uh, six or seven months. From his first 
when he first lodged his appeal against uh, his lifetime leadership ban, which was imposed by Cricket Australia after the infamous Sandpapergate test match at Newlands in 2018. Um, and I have to say, it's been a long and, 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 and cumbersome process. Cricket Australia appointed um, their ethics, uh, what do they call the, the ethics officers, um, as independents. So I understand exactly why they did that, so that they couldn't ever be seen to be compromised and to, you know, have to recuse themselves from a, from a complex situation regarding ethics and morality um, on and off the field. So they appointed an independent body who then said, well, in order to overturn your lifetime leadership ban, we need to go back and reinvestigate the events of Newlands 2018, at which point David Warner um, withdrew his request um, in order to protect his family and his teammates. Boy, there's a lot happening. There's a lot going on there, isn't there? Um, Not the least of which is that for a man who fought so hard and so successfully to avoid the moral high ground in cricket for the vast majority of his playing career, to suddenly appear to be scrambling to get up onto it at the age of 36, at the end of his career. Well, what do you make of it all? I just love the statement from his manager um, saying that they were told, and there were two executives in the room that told the whole team that we we have to doctor this thing. And because... (laughs) From the very beginning, I was absolutely convinced that there's no way that only three people knew that an entire bowling attack had no idea that two opening batsmen and your captain are doing you this great favor, roughing up a ball, and none of you know, even though you're the ones who are going to benefit. It's just, from the very beginning, that was the one thing that I said, okay, look, you, you, can, you can butter up a lot of other things, but there's no way that Pat Cummins... But oh, there's no way they didn't know. There's, there's absolutely no way. And you wait and you wait and you wait. And it, it's a pity in a sense that, that Warner's pulled out. You understand why he's pulled out. But th- there's so much more to that story um, because it's impossible in a cricket dressing room to hide something that sinister and, and, and that's going to implicate so many people. And it's... Maybe maybe there's a book that comes out when he's retired and he really knows he's never going to lead Australia again. Um, but, yeah, it's fascinating that now it's, it, it, it's sort of slowly coming out that cheapest, even executives knew. That's scary. <laughs> um, do, do you think there's anybody in the South African team in the series coming up who might be asking David Warner about... Um, his progress on his leadership, lifetime leadership ban. Anybody in the South African team who you, you might think would be interested on the field in finding out and getting an update? I mean, the personnel has changed a lot, but Kakhisu Rabada has never been short of a, a well-timed word. Um, <laughs> and Rassi, Rassi van der is not shy either. I, I saw some some of the comments that he made in, in, in the press this week and, you know, he... Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't shoulder arms. He he he, he doesn't mind a word and a bit of niggle um, because he knows that as a cricketer, there's no way it was as simple as just three players and they get sanctioned and that's it. There's no way. 
Oh, you've you sidetracked me now. Um, Rusty Funderdustin, just going back to that four-day game, um, you, a couple of weeks, no, last week, you were talking about um, the need to to bully the bullies when you play against Australia. And we're talking about just with bat and ball now, never mind the, the verbals. Um, you know, you, you need to hit the ball. You need to you need to attack and, and you need to counterattack, particularly when you're under siege, you need to hit back and counterattack. Um and I was looking for any signs of that in that four-day game against the Cricket Australia eleven um, at the Allen Border Field in Brisbane. Carl Verena scored almost a runner ball, and his eighty came from from ninety odd balls. Uh, that was very good. That was very impressive. But I just wondered, you know, Rusty Fuller doesn't. Um, he made twenty seven from eighty one balls uh, in that region. Perhaps it was thirty one from eight. But you know, it was a strike rate of under forty, cl- closer to thirty. And I, 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 see, I could, the game wasn't streamed as far as I was aware, so I didn't see it. So you're only going on numbers. Um, but he's, he's both open-minded and very stubborn at the same time, Rassi Fernandesson. He's kind of one of those guys who you can debate anything with um, and, you know, as long as you agree with him at the end of it, then you'll be fine kind of thing. You know, he's... He won't shout you down, but he won't change his mind. He just will not change his mind. And I just kept thinking, you're better counterattacking. The one thing I'll say about Rassi van der Dusen, he is a modern Afrikaner. So he, he, he's he got modern thinking and he's open to <laughs> new ideas, but he, he he's, he's an Afrikaner. So he, he is, like you say, he's stubborn. He he can dig in and, and argue a point, um, which is great. You know, it's, it's, it's great to have those hallmarks in your character. Um, and I will also say that, you know, the injury that he had meant that he hasn't played much cricket. So his mandate would probably have been spend some time at the wicket. Just make sure you're 100%, the bat feels right. Get get ready because we're going to need not just big runs from you, but long runs um, because you do have an organized defense and you've shown that you can adjust from, you know, going at runner ball to batting it out if you need to and doing a fuff. So he is, especially if Timber's not playing, he's stuck in one of those positions where you kind of have to, to massage the team home and try and get a, a, a useful total. Um, and if all things are going well, you can be a bit more expressive. So, yeah, definitely a modern Afrikaner. And we love him for it. Okay, um, that's all for now. <laughs> Thank you for listening to South Africa. On 99.94, we speak cricket every day. I'm off to the airport. Well, I've got a pack first. Um, next time um, we speak, uh, it'll be from um, from Brisbane. Uh, just can I just say, please rate, review and subscribe. It does help. And you can download the 99.94 app and follow us on Twitter at Neil Manthorpe and at Wamzam17. So um, I will give your very best regards to all your friends in Australia. Um, I will have a... A cold court. Is it a court? At the Brecky Creek Hotel in Brisbane. Oh, a schooner. It'd be a schooner, wouldn't it? Until next week. Cheerio.
Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.